Larry and Brian thought they'd planned the perfect bachelor party. They took care of the booze. They took care of the boss. Yes! They took care of the girls. Women, 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 women! They took care of the entertainment. We're here to party! They even took care of the night watchman. The only thing they didn't take care of was him. You boys wouldn't be planning anything illegal. Now they've got an uninvited guest. They're just having some fun, fun, fun. Until someone loses an eye. He's a cop. He shoots at people for a living. Chances are he's a little bit strange. <laughs> Psycho Cop 2. You know, I'm beginning to suspect foreplay. Uh, it's not what it looks like. You're drunk and disorderly. Well, hello there, officer. You're under arrest. You have the right to remain dead. There's something really wrong. Anything you say can and will be considered extremely strange because you're dead. You have the right to an attorney. Why aren't they dressed? They're dressed. They're just dressed scantily. So maybe I should just let you go with a warning. Let's get the hell out of here. Okay, up here. Suspect is blonde and considered extremely stupid. You understand these rights? Miles David Dougal as the hapless yuppie nerd. Roderick Darren as the life of the party. 1993 Penthouse Pet of the Year, Julie Strain as the bombshell in the teen leather chaps. Barbara Alexander as ace accountant Sharon Wells. And Bobby Ray Schaefer as Mr. Law Enforcement himself. Police Officer Joe Vickers. At your service. Whatever you do. Here's Joey. <laughs> Don't call 911. Just run. I hate to kick a man when he's dead. They just don't put up much of a fight. Psycho Cop 2. Hey everybody, this is Brandon Ford. And welcome to the Blind Rage Podcast. Tonight, you have the right to remain dead. Because we are watching Psycho Cop Returns, starring Bobby Ray Schaefer. I'm watching the Vinegar Syndrome Blu-ray, so if you want to watch along, feel free to do so. I don't know where else you can get it. Uh, it's not on Tubi or anything like that that I know of, but nevertheless, um, I'm sure it's somewhere, so find it. If you want to watch along, if not, you can just listen. And uh, before we get into the movie, I gotta get the plugs out of the way. Um, I want to encourage you, as per usual, to check out my books on Amazon by going to Amazon.com or the Amazon app, typing in Brandon Ford to find my titles in both paperback and Kindle editions. If you prefer audiobooks, you can find my stuff on audible.com as well as the Audible app. You can please follow me on Instagram if you don't already at writerbrandonford. You can follow me on Twitter at Brandon Ford. 
And if you have any questions, comments, concerns, suggestions, critiques, recommendations, feel free to email me directly at blindragepod81 at gmail.com. Lastly, um, I want to encourage you to to please, please, please... I don't know why I'm so fucking tongue-tied tonight. Probably because it took me forever to find this fucking Blu-ray. Uh, what was I saying? Please rate and review. I want to encourage you to rate more than anything. It only takes three seconds, probably two, if you're quick with your thumbs to just give a star rating to the podcast. It helps with algorithms, gets the Blind Rage podcast more exposure, gets me more exposure. And yeah, if you are feeling super generous and want to rate a review, please feel free to do so. Just be nice because I'm I'm thin-skinned. I will freely admit it. If you rate a, a negative review, I will probably cry. And I wish I were kidding. Um, lastly, uh... I don't know when the fuck this is going to be posted, but The Mystery of Kelly Christopher just came out in audiobook format, and it is the book that I'm most proud of, so I would like to encourage you to please check it out. If not in audiobook, then in paperback or Kindle editions. Kindle edition, if you're a horror fan, I guarantee you'll dig this book, because you'll probably find yourself in it because the book is centered around a lot of horror devotees and um, stories centered around the making of a particular slasher film that were taken from lots of different real life instances that took place in the realm of horror. Um, So, and there's tons of tons of references. So, even I think the casual fan will pick up on some of them at least. So yeah, please pick up the mystery of Kelly Christopher available now in paperback, Kindle, and audiobook. And I want to get started on the movie before the fucking pause fucks up and then I get pissed. Alright, so I'm gonna start in three, two, one, play. Yeah, I could not find this Blu-ray to save my life. I was I was literally pulling um discs off the shelf by the bundle, going through them and putting them into the player one at a time to see what they were because I can't see the fucking covers. Yeah, that's how f- pathetic I am. And just when I was about to give up, I heard the Vinegar Syndrome logo or, you know, jingle or whatever it is. And then I realized I was on the right track. I like this one. Why would I do Psycho Cop 2 and instead of before, before Psycho Cop? the original Psycho Cop. First of all, why would you watch the original Psycho Cop? Because it's terrible. And the director... <laughs> the director didn't even watch the original Psycho Cop before 
doing this one, but I, he had better reasons. And this was, for those of you who don't know, this is directed by Adam Rifkin, who is credited here as Riff Coogan. And Adam Rifkin has done a ton of stuff, most notably Detroit Rock City, which is one of my favorite comedies. And yeah, he didn't watch it because he didn't want... I believe he said on the commentary track that he didn't want to emulate the original in any way. He wanted to make his own film. And he succeeded because this is very, very, very different than the original in the best possible way. It's a it's a much it's much more fun, even though it, there are some dark moments. And um you have Bobby Ray Schaefer again playing the psycho cop. Um, I there was another thing that he said in the commentary that wasn't true. I'm, but but I I'm pretty sure he said this, but it's been a while since I listened to it. But I'm almost positive he said that. The unrated version of the movie was never shown anywhere. And I guess it never came out on video. I know the DV, when the first DVD came out, it was the R-rated cut, which is bullshit. And thankfully, somebody I knew at the time bought it before I had the chance to and warned me, so I didn't get it. But... No, that's not true, because when I first saw the movie, I saw it on Skin... on Skinamax. Yeah, Skinamax. I saw it on Skinamax, and it was the unrated version. And it was one of those things where I was just perusing the TV guide or whatever, and saw the title, Psycho Cop. I think it was just, I think it was listed in, as Psycho Cop 2, as it sometimes is. But yeah, it was, um, I saw Psycho Cop 2 in the TV guide, and it sounded like, I never heard of it. I never heard of the original Psycho Cop. I knew Maniac Cop, and, um, I knew that it would be my wheelhouse, so I decided to watch it. I just want to talk about this opening sequence with all the body parts and the and the devil worship paraphernalia and in the in the car, in the cop car and the license plate flipped over to say 666. I when I first saw this I was probably 13 or 14 and I didn't know what to make of it I did think all of these body parts were kind of grisly and the pentagram uh, scrawled in blood was a little off-putting and I thought this was going to be a total splatter movie and I was never a gore hound I didn't like gore movies I don't like any of those cannibal movies or any of that stuff so I wasn't sure if I was gonna like it and I remember being tempted to change the channel even though it was recording 
I because I used to tape everything. And I'm certainly glad that I did tape this, though, because, like I said, it was hard to... The unrated version was very hard to come by for a long time until Vinegar Syndrome finally put it out. As I said, it wasn't even out in unrated the unrated version on VHS. But now that I listen, or now that I hear people talk about the movie... Uh, now, people who are just seeing it for the first time, they see the the uh, the opening title sequence in the car as comical, and I guess they can't make heads or tails of the pre-title sequence in the coffee shop. Um. But then when you get into the cop car and you see all the body parts and you see him moving things to make room for himself to get in the driver's seat. And that spells laugh riot to some people. I don't get it. And I'm sure that it wasn't meant to be done to suggest that this was a horror film or a splatter film. Because this is a horror comedy. It's a very dark horror comedy, but it's a horror comedy nonetheless. And it wasn't... All of those body parts, I think they were meant to be... Done... They were meant to be extreme on purpose. And it probably... There's probably a full-on explanation to the whole sequence in the commentary that I haven't listened to since I've got since I got the Blu-ray, and I didn't want to go back and listen to it again because I'm a lazy fucker. But yeah, um, Adam Rifkin did talk about you know making his own movie, and. Um, Wanting it to stay. I, um, just by happenstance, I went to my local mom and pop video store that I went to all the time. The same one that used to come up in almost every single one of my commentaries that I did for B-Movie Bonanza. The one that I grew up going to, the one that I discovered, countless gems and asking if they had the original Psycho Cop. And I didn't think that they had because I'd never seen it there before. And lo and behold, they did. And I knew some of the girls that worked there on a superficial level because I'd been there. I used to go there so much. I knew them all by name. They knew me by name. And so... I was comfortable at the time asking one of the girls to put the tape in the machine to play a few seconds, a few minutes, or yeah, a few seconds of the opening titles because I just, like I said, I'd never found, I'd never saw it there before. And I had this weird feeling that it was going to be a different movie. And, or, yeah, it wasn't, yeah, it was going to be something totally different. Uh, 
or maybe that she had gotten maniac cop by accident. I don't know what the fuck I was thinking, but I said, do me a favor, put it in the VCR for a second. And I, cause I want to, and I could see the TV from over the counter. It's like, I want to see if Bobby Ray Schaefer is in this. And I didn't even know Bobby Ray Schaefer was in the original. That's the funny part. And lo and behold, there his name was in the opening titles. Oh, okay. Well, I guess this is it. And I remember taking it home, watching it. It was fine. It wasn't anything remarkable. It wasn't anything that I cared to see again. I remember trying to watch it a couple of times years later, but it's, it's, it's not really much of, uh, it's not really much. I had no idea that this guy was Greek. I always thought he was a, he was Italian. Yeah. I always thought that he was English because he sounds like he's got an English accent to me. And from what I remember about the very, very skinamaxy sex scene, he was quite easy on the eyes. And very much so, actually. And... Who the fuck calls a store and says, do you have cherry chaps? Like, what kind of bullshit is that? But this, um, I can't remember his fucking name right now, but his character's name is Brian. And he is a close friend of Adam Rifkin's. And if you bring up, bring him up to Adam, he'll immediately launch into the story about how he saved his life. He, Brian, whatever his, his real name is, he saved Adam's life because uh, they were swimming and Adam was drowning and he saved him. He goes into the whole story on the commentary and I used to tweet to Adam Rifkin and, you know, I just found him on Twitter and you know how it is on Twitter. If you tweet... Uh, people who are remotely famous, the chances of them responding are very small, depending on you know you know who they are. But I just found him on Twitter and decided to tell him how much I love Psycho Cop Returns and Detroit Rock City. And much to my surprise, he tweeted back and said thank you. And I thought that was the coolest thing ever, even though he really didn't say anything. He just said, thank you, which was nice. But I just really didn't expect him to say anything at all. I don't remember how he launched into it or we launched into it. But, oh God, the actor who played, I, I don't know, I can't remember his name right now. Because I didn't IMDB anything. I didn't prepare anything. Because I wasn't going to record tonight. I always say that. And it's true. But I... um, I don't remember how it came up. But he told me the story. Briefly. He told me a very condensed version of the story. I think he, I think he just said that... 
you know, he saved me from drowning or he saved my life or something like that. And I said, how, what, I think I might have asked them, how's that? And he gave me, you know, a very brief, this was, these were the days of 140 characters. So he told me a very condensed version of the story about how he was saved while drowning. And they've been very close friends ever since. He was in Detroit Rock City, the actor. And I think he's been in some other stuff that Adam directed. And I could be wrong, but I think Adam said in the commentary that he decided he was going to create or direct um, a totally different kind of movie. He was going to do like quote unquote legitimate films, uh, Hollywood films uh, for for the major companies because uh, Detroit Rock City was a New Line film. And he was going to do those kinds of movies for the major studios under his real name. But he was going to do movies like this, exploitation movies, horror movies, horror comedy, lots of stuff with boobages under the Riff Coogan name. But I think that this ended up being the only one. I could be wrong. Oh, Jesus Christ. And... Yeah, so I'm trying to think of, of uh, more about the first time I saw this. This was my introduction to Julie Strain, R.I.P. Still makes me sad when I think about what happened to poor Julie. And um, she was taken way too soon. I'm, and I know that I tend to be very sarcastic. And it's difficult sometimes to tell when I'm being sincere. But I am being very sincere. I, I appreciated Julie very much. I thought she was... I, I thought she was very down on herself. And her acting ability. I, she, in, there are documentaries where she flat out call, calls herself a shitty actress. And she essentially says that she tricked people into hiring her. And, um, you know, she said, and there's one documentary that she's in where she says, just think if I could actually act what I if I've accomplished this, being a bad actress, just think of what I could actually accomplish if I could act. And I didn't think that was funny. It kind of bothered me because while she's not a... Well, while she... Uh, I feel shitty talking about her in the past tense. But while she wasn't an amazing a talent, I thought she did well in the movies that I'd seen her in. This was very, very early in her career. So she, her acting is kind of wooden. She does get better in her later movies. This one, she was still 
in the in the opening title, she was known as she's credited as being the penthouse pet of the year, um, and that was her title. That was her claim to fame, and she got some work out of it. And I think that she said that the very first thing that she did was an extra role or background role in the Leslie Nielsen, Linda Blair movie, Repossessed, which I did see when it first came out as a kid. But he, it was during a scene where he walked into the, the women's locker room at a gym because he lost his glasses or something like that. So obviously I wasn't looking at the naked women in the background. So I... I didn't notice her. I didn't even know she was in the movie until she had mentioned it. And she was also in the the doors as an extra or something, which I don't I never saw all the way through, nor do I care to. But yeah, the, these were her opening days and opening movies and like I said, she got better. I think she she is does a really good job in Delta Delta Die and some of her later films um in, in Sorceress she's good and um it kind of it did it kind of bummed me out that she didn't give herself any kind of credit um I think this is This is her introduction right here. By the way, you know what I noticed? Um, what I've been doing is because I, I, I like to put something, if I can, at the beginning of each at the beginning of each episode, if I can't put the trailer, if I can't find the trailer, because for some fucking reason, the app that I use to upload my DVDs and Blu-rays doesn't always upload all of the material that is on the disc. And generally, that tends to be the trailer. And so, of course, the trailer oftentimes isn't on youtube either or if it is it's a shitty quality version so what i'll do sometimes and i've done is i will if i have a file if it's an mkv file that has been extracted from the dvd or blu-ray there is another program that you can put the video through and you can select separate by chapter and it will separate the audio files in the chapters that they are split up in on the actual disc. What I've noticed is with Blu-rays... They really got lazy. And by they, I mean fucking everybody. There are, on average, 10 to 12 chapters on Blu-rays. And I bring this up now, and I mention it now, 
because this jumps ahead from chapter one, which is, of course, the opening. When you go to chapter two, it jumps right to uh, when Larry is about to put the Spongehead Hustle stag film on. And that's like, what is it, like 20, 25 minutes into the movie? So, but with earlier DVDs, they were really careful, or not careful, but they were really a lot more, uh, what's the word? Not specific, not generous. There it is. That's right where chapter two starts. Um, but yeah, the chapters would be about like a minute and a half, three and a half minutes, sometimes five or six minutes. And depending on how short they are, I would, I'll put them at the beginning of an episode if they are interesting, if it's an interesting scene. But I've been finding it harder and harder to do that with these Blu-rays because each chapter is like 15 minutes long. And we can't do that. No, we cannot. And this is... I know this is what people who are watching the movie came to see. But still, it kind of is, you know, a bit much for me. And I want to say, too, that the the blonde, the really tall one of the strippers, she, I always, I remember flipping the fuck out when I recognized her on Seinfeld because Seinfeld is like my number one favorite show of all time. And there is an episode where... I don't know, I don't know where the fuck it comes from, but George is talking about sleeping with a really, really tall woman. A giant, he says. He said, that is my ambition in life. I want to sleep with a giant. And at the very end of the episode, he's in Jerry's apartment, and the blonde, I don't know what her name is, the blonde... She comes into the doorway and she says, excuse me, you dropped your wallet. And she's so much taller than him. And he's just looking up at her like, oh. And, uh, yeah, we don't know what happens after that. But so, and yeah, we got Julie doing her, her dancey dance. And the other girl, I don't know who she is. Um... I think that everybody in the movie, um, as far as the guys go, and especially Bobby Ray Schaefer, they they got it. They knew what they were doing. They knew that this wasn't a straightforward horror film. They, so their their performances aren't supposed to be um you know Lawrence Olivier caliber they're having fun everybody's having fun in the movie and um 
the only one who does take it seriously and it's because she is the final girl is the barbara lee is barbara lee alexander who is uh, the blonde who works who's working late and really doesn't want anything to do with these guys but she i think i don't i'm really surprised that i hadn't seen her in any more horror films because i think she does really well here and she's a very beautiful girl and she she does she does she does a very good final girl and you don't really think that she's gonna be the final girl or you don't even really know if there's going to be a final girl because this is a movie that's set in an office building and you know she is very wait a minute this was one of the the cut scenes when uh psycho cop stabs the security guard in the eye with the pencil See, you know, the, he's he's in on the joke, too. I did see the cut version because that one, that one did play on cable as well. I don't know. It must have been an accident that the unrated version played the night that I that I watched and recorded it. I guess I got lucky. But um yeah, I do remember that scene being cut. And uh I don't remember exactly how it was, but it was the trims. I remember the trims in this movie being very very obvious. I don't know where he why he's going up the elevator because later later you see him at the front desk. Oh god. And Brian has some of the goofiest lines in the movie. And one of which is don't he's talking to himself he's don't be such a ninny brian and then after psycho cop uh he hit he i think it's after he chops him in the back with the axe he says do his body burn in hell you little ninny which again you know shows that this is not supposed to be a straightforward horror or slasher film it's not to be taken seriously it's a dark comedy but i have tweeted that to adam rifkin a few times and he always gets a kick out of it i've tweeted him other quotes from this too and he like he likes it i haven't to- i haven't tweeted him in a while but i should just to see if he's still on twitter he's still around he's seen i don't i wouldn't say that we corresponded regularly 
we we exchanged tweets back and forth on a few a few occasions and he came across as a really nice guy but i uh i wouldn't say that we we were we were friends This scene with the elevator, when they show the pulley system, I don't know what the hell it's called, whatever it's called, the mechanics of the elevator um, going uh, clock, clockwise and counterclockwise, clockwise and counterclockwise. It's so obvious by the way it's edited that it's just, you know, different different uh, cuts to make it look like it's it's a uh, you know fucking fucked up, but that doesn't happen yet. I got a little ahead of myself. Right now, the elevator is stuck. One thing that I remember, and I don't know if this was meant to be a a choice um, by the actor to be to be funny, or if it was directed direction by Adam. But I remember taking notice <laughs> the first time I watched it that when. Whenever Brian, the crazy, the goofy one, don't be such a ninny, Brian. Whenever he is like hyped up or he's hysterical, he his arms go crazy. His arms go up and down, up and down, up and down, and um, like when they find the bodies. And he goes, I, I am right. I was right. I am never right, but I am right. And meanwhile, both his arms are going up and down, up and down, up and down. Fanning the fires. Yeah. So he's at the, he's at the front desk. So I don't know why the hell he got in the elevator. Yeah, and he's just, he's uh, gesturing with the pencil and the signs all, you know, written in blood. This kind of, it's kind of in a way a parody of the slasher movie tropes that were so often used throughout the course of the 80s. And this was, this was at a time when slasher movies were not often seen. And so, yeah, I think that that's what this was po- this was doing. This was poking fun at that, and especially Bobby Ray Schaefer's intentional over the top performance of the villain. So, and I think it succeeds all around. I think Adam Adam Rifkin did a really good job with this one because it's fun. And there's a lot of laughs. There's there's a lot of there's a lot of gore too. 
And there are some some scenes that are nasty. Uh, like the pencil in the eye. That was a nasty scene. And the scene where... I mean, you get people getting shot in the head. Which is never fun. Um, so, and that the blonde gets shot in the head. The tall one. And I remember that being one of the the scenes that were sent that was censored too in the in the cut that was um the R-rated cut rather and the thing too about the casting of the guys is they Adam I think took a a Jim Wynorski um he took a page from Jim Minorsky's book in that Jim made a lot of movies with very beautiful, scantily clad, very buxom women. And the men who are in the scenes are just very average Joes. They're, you know, they're not... They're not particularly handsome. They're somewhat doughy or beer or beer bellied or balding. And Jim's rationale was, at least in the documentary that I'd seen where he speaks about this, was these kinds of movies are made for a male demographic and men don't want to see these you know, perfectly sculpted Calvin Klein model-esque guys with these women. They want to see themselves with these women. They want to... They want to... see themselves kind of living out this these their fantasies with these guys. And I think that's what is what Adam did with this one too because none of the guys are particularly attractive and they're all average Joes some some of them are are, are doughy and um or that one guy who fell down the elevator shaft he was a little doughy Brian's not particularly attractive Larry's kind of goofy looking the only one who I think is attractive is the guy who I said was Greek who has the sex scene later and I think that was because they or Adam knew that he had to deliver a certain kind of sex scene so he wanted the performers to be attractive and while I think he succeeded in spades with the male um the female and I okay she was way she's way too tan she's way too blonde she got a not so great boob job that she was clearly very proud of because she was bouncing them all over the place and um 
I don't know. She just like kind of looked leathery from what I remember. Like she spent too much time out in the sun. I really hate talking shit about people's physical appearance. And when I do, I, I do, I feel guilty every single time that I do it. But I keep, do, I feel like Shannon Doherty in Heather's when she's at the uh, coffin saying, I prayed for the death of Heather Chandler many times. And I felt bad every time I did it, but I did it anyway. And that's kind of me in this case, where I feel bad about talking about people's physical appearance, but I keep doing it. Oh, God. This is a... Uh, this is an untrained actor trying to play drunk. And I know that this is supposed to be a, a dark comedy, so he's really not supposed to be realistically drunk. But he's the painful kind of drunk. And he's he's kind of doughy, too. That's that's right. There's I thought there was three, but there's four. Him and the, and the other guy who fell down the elevator shaft. They're both kind of doughy. And, yeah, he's the one who's getting married. So, I, and I don't know what the hell the point of it was other than for Psycho Cop to throw the stripper off the roof. But he decided it was going to be, it would be fun for the two of them to... That's a good line. When he finds the underwear, I'm beginning to suspect foreplay. Um, yeah, there's really no other... There's no real reason other than for him to throw her off the roof. Um, oh, here we go with the, with the sex scene. And this one, this does go on kind of long. And it is very, very very skinamaxy all you really need is a little bit of penetration and this this is like full-on porno um did it cut yeah it cut already but i think we're going to cut back to it and i do think it's funny too yeah, there it is. I do think it's funny, too, that uh, Barbara Lee Alexander's character, she interrupts them because she needs a stapler. This is an office building. You mean to tell me you can't find a stapler anywhere else in any of the other offices in the whole, on the whole floor? Or any other floor? If I had just busted in on somebody having sex on a desk... I, I would not, well, depending on how attractive they were, I would not go right back in because I needed a damn stapler. I would find one elsewhere. But the music that they play during this scene is kind of wonky. I mean, it's not, it's not, the type of like you know saxophone type 
music that you would hear in a in, in a sex scene like for with a with a with a slasher movie or a horror movie I can't. I can't believe he even tried to explain it. He even tried to explain it away. They're both ass naked, fucking on a desk, and he says she tripped, and I. Tr- I was trying to help her up. Okay, that doesn't even make sense. Now she's going back in for the stapler, but I guess she had to go back in because if she didn't. Um, I think this is where he was lurking. Our ah uh, officer. Now they're going up to the roof. And they're trying really hard to laugh. And it's not working. I can't believe... This is 1993. You know... And they're watching stag... They're watching a stag film. Like, that's something that you would do at bachelor parties like in the fucking 60s. They couldn't have brought in... A TV and a VCR and put on a VHS tape of a real porno movie? Well, I guess they probably could have, but they couldn't have. For for this movie, they couldn't have seen, you couldn't have seen it. I don't remember. I think the I don't remember. I think Adam talks about how how quickly this was shot. We can't have that. But yeah, this was shot very quickly and they had that whole floor to themselves. I think he said that they were about to painted or redecorated or some shit like that and so they really didn't care what went on because it was going to go it was going to be remodeled or redecorated I don't fucking know but there's one scene there's one scene where he's going after them chasing them with he's shooting at them I think, and I always remember that because there were old computer parts and shit, I think Adam said that they were free to use. So, you know, they were able to like shoot uh, computer monitors and stuff. But there's one, there's this one moment where there's a, there's a computer keyboard that I think gets shot at or gets or gets, gets 
thrown off a desk or something. But right before it gets thrown off a desk, you can see that all of the keys are just thrown. They're just lying there on top of the board. They're not even inserted into their designated slots. So that leads me to believe that it was like the second or third or fourth take of them trying to fuck up this keyboard or shoot at this keyboard and the keys went flying so and they were like okay this is a low budget movie that's got to be done um yesterday so just put the fucking keys back on top of the board i don't care and we'll spill them over it'll look fine i think that's what they needed they wanted they wanted the keys to go flying and the only way they could accomplish that was to just pile them on top of the board Mutant Ninja Pigeon. There's always a mic in these movies. Oh, fax machines. It's funny to me. I've never faxed anything ever in my life. Um... Fax machines are still... People still use them. I don't think they're used anywhere near as uh, widely. But they are still used. That's funny to think that before emails, you know, people with money, anyway, that's how they would correspond. They would send each other handwritten notes via fax. Don't be such a ninny, Brian. Mm. I always have to have some a character who walks around talking to themselves in these movies. No. And the scene too, where um, that there is a. Uh, a Friday the 13th reference when Brian starts to, you know, suggest that something might be going on. And Larry says, okay, this isn't Friday the 13th part, Infinity. But there is an impaling that is very similar to, it's a, it's like a shush, the shush, the, I think they call it the shush kebab. It's known as the shush kebab anyway. In part two, when Jason, um, yeah, when he impales the two kids fucking on the bed and the, with the spear, I think it is, and it goes right through, you see it go to the floor. They do, they do that in this movie with, um, the hot Greek guy and the leathery blonde. But they're about, they're like dressed and they're about ready to, 
I don't know, go home. And but it's it's funny, it's interesting the way they do it because Psycho Cop just comes running with the giant with the spear. He's got a spear too that I think he got from the fucking as Brian called it, the bad Rococo art. And yeah, he comes running into the room and spears them to the wall. And that is kind of nasty. Um, there's Julie. Oh. Uh, I think this is coming. It's coming up now, with the, with the uh, double spear or the shish kebab two point Yeah, unfortunately. He, he's do, he doesn't sound, I don't, well, granted, I don't know what a Greek, there it is, ooh, that was nasty, for a movie like this, but he, his accent kind of sounds, I, granted, I don't know what a Greek accent sounds like, but his accent sounds like a cross between English and Australian and when you get that combination it usually means South African so I don't know but it says he's from he's Greek on IMDB yeah I am I IMDB stalked him because I thought he was attractive The drop ceiling scene, which I think is kind of ironic. It's a drop. There, the bodies f drop out of a drop ceiling that has a pentagram. Or I think it's about to happen right now. But how the hell he got the bodies up in the drop ceiling, and how they were able to stay? I don't know the how that's possible. Are we satisfied yet? There's no psychotic murder running loose in the building. Uh oh. Here it comes. I love that sound effect too. It sounds like an avalanche. 
Oh. Larry, that was a really high-pitched squeal from Larry. Get him off of me! His, and Brian's arms are going all crazy. I think, I really think that in certain moments, well, in... Excluding the scenes that are, you know, undoubtedly, intentionally humorous or comical. I think that when I first saw this, I more than likely saw it as a legitimate slasher movie. I didn't really see it because the... I don't want to say that it's tonally off, but for a, a very, a, the, the, there's a new term that I think Mick Garris um, coined. I just heard it recently, and I think it's a really good one. And I think it's apropos for this movie, and that is red comedy. It's, they're they're horror movies that are very darkly humorous but also have a fair bit of blood and gore and i think that's what this falls under so yeah this is a red comedy but i thought that because i'd never seen anything like this before so i probably didn't didn't associate it was difficult for me to associate um it was different for me to um to put those the together unless it was completely in your face obvious but granted, the, these kinds of movies weren't common, especially not at this time. Some of the scenes are tense, though. I mean, like the scene where they have that standoff in the stairwell and he's got Julie and he tells, you know, um, Barbara Leah Alexander, if you give me the gun, I promise I won't shoot her. And then, of course, he snaps her neck. He's waving his arms again. I remember that. His name is Joe. We have a 
a maniacal serial killer cop and his name's Joe Joe Vickers See, this is this is interesting too because the audience knows is the audience knows, but they don't know because he they think he's the cavalry. I don't remember if that satanic worship thing was in the first one. He doesn't know what the fuck he's saying. I think Larry's hat. Yeah, I think his. Um, yeah, yeah. I remember this. I remember that um, because when you when you hear Brian screaming his name, the the uh, shot is on Larry's body and all the viscera. But in the cut version. The when you when you hear him screaming Larry's name, the uh, the cameras on everybody running down the hall. Burn in hell, you little mini. That's the best line in the movie. See, and the music changed here. I just I'm noticing this now, because like, it was kind of silly before. And 
now we have like the violin strings we have like the full-on horror movie suspense music but before the music it was kind of wacky a little bit I don't know. They're in a huge fucking high-rise office building. I would think that it would be pretty easy to get away because there's a million fucking places places to hide. And they say something... I think they say something about getting out through the garage because they have an underground garage, I assume. Wait a minute. Fire exit. Yeah, and Julie, I love Julie, but her acting really isn't very good here. And, but, and again, I think that's because she's, this is still very early in her career. And she has gotten better. Or she did get better. She said something that I thought was funny in one interview where she didn't know that she could say no to a movie. So, as they were offered to her, she just kept taking them. And I think it was her agent or somebody who said, Julie, you don't have to do these movies. And, um, because she was, I think it was around the time that she started getting offered really, really shitty stuff. But she was still doing it. And I think a lot of it had to do with the, the fact that she wanted to work. So, you can't fault her for that. I think that he just meant that, or he or she, whoever her agent was, thought that she should be a little more selective. <laughs> I've already reached my quota. She's putting that gun down on metal stairs and kicking it. Kicking it. I don't know how that... I would be so petrified that it was going to go off.
Oh, Julie. I wonder if that was an improvised line because he said to um, was it Julie or was it the blonde one of the girls one of the strippers was wearing chaps that were cow patterned and um, yeah right before he started shooting up the stairs he said you enjoying the party and then he looked down and said nice chaps I wonder if that was improvised. So now we have the game of cat and mouse between the killer and the final girl. Oh. Oh, God. Of course, there's no bullets in the car. I I had to say that there's one line that I don't like, and that is when she um, makes the uh, hairspray torch, and she says, eat this, you gargoyle. Gargoyle? That's not, that's not a good line. Run, bitch. Uh-oh, another fax. And I don't remember what this one says. Or this one is. She kind of has a Heather Locklear thing going on. Oh, I think, um, yeah, she's, she's beautiful girl. Like I said, I think she could have, she could have been successful in more horror movies. She does well, and I think if she had continued to do them, she would have gotten even better. Because she, like I said, she is a good final girl. Now he's just babbling. I wonder if this is improvisation too. Or ad-libbing rather. Is that a, is there a difference? No, I don't think so. I I think this this is where he's trashing the offices and you see the, the computer keys. Uh, 
Where the hell is she? What the hell kind of line is that? Oh, okay. All right. So you got that was a payoff. Okay, good. Good, good. I I, I can co-sign on that one. I wonder why they, made a, they didn't ever made another one. They didn't ever make another one. I wonder why they never made another one. I think it would have been, especially if, I think it would have been good, especially if, oh, especially if um, Adam was at the helm. I think, too, he, yes, he definitely must have been taking a page out of Jim Minarski's book because he, uh, Psycho Cop kind of turns into Orville Ketchum toward the end, where, and for those of you who don't know Orville Ketchum, first of all, hang your heads in shame. No, seriously, do that right now. Shame. Shame on you. Orville Ketchum was a character in Sorority House Massacre 2 and Hard to Die. And he was a very large man in a red and white plaid flannel who, after getting his neck broken, stabbed, beaten, thrown off of buildings, he sh shot... Uh, several times, but um, yeah, he doesn't die. Um, and yeah, there's a, there's hard to die like this one, and I wonder if that's where, because this wasn't that long after Hard to Die. I wonder if that's this is where Adam got the idea for uh for this movie because yeah, Orville Ketchum falls off the roof or gets thrown off the roof in Hard to Die, which is also a red comedy. Thank you. And, yeah, it's kind of... Psycho Cop kind of turns into Orville Ketchum in the last reel because he goes through all the shit. He gets the fucking hairspray torch. He gets thrown down the elevator shaft. Um... I'm trying to think of what else she does to him. She fucks him up. But then you got the... Ah. Uh, 
But then you got the patrons in the Cholo bar who come out and beat the fuck out of them with baseball bats. And yeah, and then they say he's still alive. And in the, down the hall from Brian, who is getting, this is the last scene, who is getting fed chocolate pudding. And I was thinking about this, I was thinking about this the other day. Is there anything more disgusting in movies to watch people eat than chocolate fucking pudding? It's so gross, especially when they're eating it like ravenously, like in The Devil Wears Prada when Emily Brunt Blunt is like stuffing her face full of it. And I believe in the movie Choke that was based on the Chuck Palahniuk book, Angelica Houston is in the hospital and she's eating chocolate pudding and she, she chokes she starts to she dies while she's eating the chocolate pudding and it starts to come out of her mouth and it's really not good and i know that there are some other because there are some others because i was just lying here thinking about this a couple days ago and i was like yeah as much as i love chocolate pudding i don't want to see it in movies or i don't want to see people eating it in movies ever because it's disgusting. Well, watching people eat in general is disgusting. Especially if they don't know how to close their fucking mouth when they chew. So yeah, um, Adam did say what we're we're about what's about to happen is this was meant to be a comment on the Rodney King beating. Uh, and that's Adam that got, she's good. She's good. Um, but yeah, when the, the guy who comes out on the balcony and starts filming that, all this is, is supposed to be common on the Rodney King beating and especially the, the, um, the footage taken with the with the camcorder but the irony is it's a cop getting beaten by minorities so yeah they come out and they fuck him up I love it when he just like fucking starts slapping her around like she's a battered wife or something. I mean, like he they just spent like 90 minutes in this office building with him trying to fucking stab her, chop her, fucking all this shit. And then outside it becomes a slap fight. Ah, 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 Get the bats. Stop it. Jesus Christ. Hey, leave her alone. Hey, come 
Hey, cut it out. Ooh. You're on all on the rest for something. I think you see his face while he's getting beaten, but he's all he's all padded. His body is all padded. And they're probably beating him with rubber bats. So. He might not have needed a stunt guy. Because he, Bobby Ray Schaefer is a big guy. Get him in the balls. <laughs> I never noticed that before. One thing that I don't get is why, when you see her in the hospital, Barbara Alexander, when she goes to visit Brian in the hospital, why she bothered getting all decked out with her hair done, and she's got makeup on, she's got a nice dress on, and she's all bruised and battered still. It's like, why would you, why would you bother? I think that there is some weird I think there's some weird moment right before he he leaves the um the um the room wherever he's being held and you hear like dogs barking or something All right, it wasn't that funny. But you hear like dogs barking and it all, it always kind of made me think about, um, uh, to, to put rationale or to try to rationalize this movie is, you know, cause it's so silly, but I always wondered if like he was calling on the dark forces because he's supposed to be a Satan worshiper and that is what helped him survive. And of course, he's in room 666. Yeah, and this moment, too, is reminiscent of... Um, yeah, hear the dogs? This, this scene is kind of reminiscent of um, Slaughter High because he takes the... He takes the... 
the bandages off and then he goes off he he, he walks off screen out of frame Mm. And now we're going to get to... Now we're treated to more footage of the Spongehead Hustle, which is the stag film that they're watching during the movie. And that is the guy who played Brian in a really bad wig and a mustache playing the guy in the stag... Yeah, this is the stag film. I didn't know that that was him for the longest time. I don't think anybody else did either because he looks so fucking different. With that crazy wig and that stash. Anyway, that was Psycho Cop Returns. I want to say thanks, as always, for staying with me to the bitter, bitter, bitter end. And I hope you'll come back real soon for more commentaries, more fun. And please don't forget to pick up your copy of The Mystery of Kelly Christopher. Once again, now available in paperback kindle and audiobooks so until next time this is brandon ford wishing you all unpleasant dreams